Are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. Hey guys, I'm Amanda. And I'm Jen. And And you're you're listening listening to Fathomless. This is part two of the Lizzie Borden yes. murder. The Tupata. The Tupata. Um, so what do you think of part one, everyone? I, mean, I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I loved it. Yeah, I mean me too. Um there is a lot for this case. And it's we could go on, 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 And Amanda was like, we're almost done, I swear. I was like, no, dude, like, keep going, because this is amazing. Um, So we hope you all think that as well. I went a little ham. Yeah. I feel like I didn't go as ham as you. I just wanted to kind of get, like, the the structure of it, because there's a lot of he said, she said, and a lot of the things repeated, and a lot of things come up, so. I felt like having that full timeline really kind of helps set the scene for the murders and helps everyone understand the trial a little bit better too. Yeah. Because there's so many, there's a lot of like. You can't understand the trial if you don't understand the murders. Yeah. And like the timeline is just so weird because everyone had like different consistencies. And like I, I did all the times that I threw in are basically just guesstimates by, you know. Oh, yeah. Give or take like 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, when you you were giving a timeline of the morning and I was like, yeah, mine's pretty similar, but it's like a little different. But like, yeah. again, it. Who's keeping track of the actual time? Exactly. And it's one of those things with history where I feel like everything's kind of like a game of telephone. We're all just retelling that tale over and over and over again. And things kind of get twisted or dropped off or kind of confused and changed. And we are by no means experts on this case. Neither of us are historians. Or any case that we cover. Crime experts. Luckily, no one's really come at us with like, your research sucks. Yeah, no. The only thing that people don't like is like, banter but i feel like that's just like what's any podcast I, that has like that has banter even morbid has reviews that are like 10 minutes of banter Ugh, just get to the case okay well for those of you who are still here and listen or if you're one of those people that hate banter and you're still listening anyway um it helps i like it in the podcast that i listen to because i feel like i know the hosts i feel like they're yeah. my friends feel like I know them personally I follow them not like in a weird way but like you follow them on Instagram and you just like you know little things about their lives yeah and you feel like you're sitting in a room with your friends having a conversation we didn't and hearing wanna, a story yeah we didn't want to come off like I'm telling a ghost and like not tell you like who I am as a person or you know what like the humor and like the the things that like the comments that we bring up and like the personal relation whatever like, it's all just to get through all the fucking horrible yeah. ass shit that we talk about. It's it's my, uh, I, <clears throat> I like to deflect with humor a lot and, and comedy when I am uh, anxious or stressed out or feeling super uncomfortable about something. Because, you know, I'm a simple person and I don't know any other way to cope with it. So, comedy. So, yeah. So, we are just your two best friends, Amanda and Jen. And you love hanging out with us. Yeah. And you love putting us on when you're riding to work. Or when you're at the gym, or when you're cleaning your house, and feels like we're in the room with you. Exactly. So, and if you want a show that's less fluff and more just pure facts, there are plenty out there. Yeah, we have a couple we could recommend. Just ask us. Yep, Murder She Told's a great one. But Kristen does great at just laying out those facts amazingly, yep. and she always has like a family member or someone connected to the case as a guest. Or if you like not a lot of banter, but you kind of like to know the people who they are as people, but they kind of get to it. Um, Peyton and Garrett from uh, Murder with My Husband. That's a good one. They're also amazing. Crime Junkie. I feel like they're pretty. Crime Junkie. They're pretty good. I feel like I've fallen off Crime Junkie a lot recently, but um, I listen to certain, I don't know, certain, certain cases pique my interest. Absolutely. Let me just say that. I'm more of like a murder missing person. I don't. Some some things I can't get into. I can't really put my finger on what right now. But I feel that when when it's like missing person, I'm like ooh ah yeah. So anyway, um, I guess we're just gonna pick up where we left off. Yeah, we um, left off with Lizzie being arrested. 
So I'm going to mention a man named Andrew Jennings, and he was like the Borden family lawyer. Being a businessman, I'm sure Andrew Borden had a lawyer. Um, So this man, Andrew Jennings, he quickly came to Lizzie's defense because he kind of felt like I have, you know, owed a lot of time or given a lot of time to the Borden family. I'm going to continue to help out Andrew and his death. He did not think Lizzie was guilty. Obviously, he's coming to her defense. So after some consultation between the head of the Fall River Police Department, Marshal Rufus Hilliard, who you mentioned in part one. Yes. And this man, his name is Hosea Knowlton. Okay. He was the district attorney. Uh, They were ready to issue an an arrest warrant. Knowlton strongly, strongly believes that Lizzie is guilty. Like, it is his mission to convict Lizzie of these murders. And oh, yeah. he does not rest at all. Um, so despite their efforts to kind of keep Jennings like out of the inquest proceedings, he didn't they didn't want him to kind of like I don't know, squirm his way and be like, no, 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 yeah. like she's innocent. They agreed to go to Jennings' house to inform them of this warrant of Lizzie's arrest so that he could properly support and advise Lizzie, his client. Uh, so, as Amanda told us, Lizzie was served with her warrant on August 11th, 1892. Lizzie took the announcement of her arrest with calming, uh, sorry, surprising calmness. So, um, very just kind of stoic, I guess. Just kind of wasn't Nonchalant like, about it. Yeah, just wasn't surprised that she yeah. was like, oh, okay. Um, the Fall River Police Department arrest records state her description as height 5'4", complexion light, hair light, eyes gray. Her arrest was one of three for murder in Fall River that year, and she was the only woman. Damn. Also, I forgot to um, mention this. I got um, all of this information from a book because there's nothing online, really, about the trial. Um, The book is called The Trial of Lizzie Borden. Um, It's written by Kara Robertson. It's super, super, super descriptive. It has everything you want to know about the trial conversations word for word things like that so um anyway forgot to mention that so i I had to put that in there so the prosecuting attorneys were again jose and knowlton and future united states supreme court justice william moody defending lizzie was andrew jennings melvin adams and former massachusetts governor george robinson jennings was you know the opposite of knowlton and he was the one lying awake at night trying to plan these, you know, make these plans yeah. to defend Lizzie. To prove her innocence. Exactly. Uh, he was also the one to hire George Robinson. And this gave Lizzie, you know, relief. She was like, this guy's good. Yeah. He's going to help me. She had me. a good team of lawyers behind her. Which oh, yeah. Big which really reason. helped. Yeah. Um, so immediately there were different rumors going around Fall River about what happened, who did it, well, why. Oh, yeah. Um, Everyone were, loves the scandal. Yeah, there were very divided opinions. People who, who either strongly believe she did do it or strongly believe that she didn't do it. Like, yep. very black and white, no in-between. People weren't like, oh, maybe. It's like, today, yeah. I'm like, I still am leaning towards, like, oh, but maybe. I I don't know. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah. I, I, th- I think she, I, I think she absolutely wanted to kill her parents. But I don't think that she did it alone. And I don't know if it was done the way that everyone like thinks believes it was done. Yeah. Um, so one of these rumors was that Lizzie was pregnant and that her father was giving her an ultimatum about taking care of it or finding another place to live. Oh. Which I mean, I mean who would she have gone pregnant with? I, maybe there was a a male in her situation. She was like a female that was in just in a shitty situation, but like had the connections. Maybe he was the same. And there's somebody for everybody. There is. There so, very much is. I just have never Lizzie had heard of her having any like boyfriend. But of Lizzie any kind. had sexual needs. Absolutely. So I think they were met by women. women. We yeah. So we have theories <laughs> about that. But anyway, it was a rumor. It's the pregnancy rumors are always going to pop up. Oh, it's up. A, that's always, yeah. So Lizzie was transported to the Taunton jail where the whole town was there to see her arrive by train. 
She was escorted to her nine point five foot, sorry, nine and a half foot by seven and a half foot jail cell. But it was furnished with a chair, a bed, and she had a wash bowl. I mean, I guess like any normal prison cell. She had a tiny cell, but she was given special privileges. Um, and this was because her childhood friend's mother uh, was her caretaker. I guess women had caretakers in jail. Um, and her name was Mrs. Wright, and she was also given one of her own soft pillows. She had colorful decorations in her cell, and she adopted the jailhouse cat named Daisy. Daisy, Daisy. I love that. Um, and you told me, I think, that the cat was a boy. Yes, I saw that in um, an article that it was later found out that the cat was a male. But it was named named Daisy. Well, oh, well. Um, She also grew strawberries on the windowsill of her cell. So she's in jail. But I mean, it's sounds like she had like the Martha Stewart kind of jail. life. Yeah, yeah. She definitely got like a cushy cush lifestyle, especially with like her her friends. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like still at this time, I mean, obviously at this time, women were treated very differently than men. So they probably didn't believe that, you know, they couldn't subject a woman to any type of, you know, awfulness in prison. No, not that. I mean. They're too feeble-minded. They already arrested her, so yeah. whatever. Um, so there were five days of closed inquest where she took the stand every day. Her sanity was questioned, and the attorney general wrote to a man named Dr. George Jelly, which I fucking love that name, by the way. George Jelly? Are you shitting me? Dr. George Jelly. He was the former superintendent of the McLean Asylum, and he would later become the chairman of the Massachusetts State Board of Insanity. He was also Yogi Bear's doctor. Was he? I'm just... Yeah, George Jelly. Sounds right. Oh, okay. I thought you were... Stone. I was like, is this factual information? (laughs) Everybody can judge me. Everybody can judge me. So the attorney general, he asked this man um, to form an opinion on Lizzie's sanity. And he declined, basically saying that he couldn't form an opinion on it uh, because their indications of Lizzie's sanity weren't tangible. He was like, I can't because this just like doesn't scream insane to me. Um, Hysteria was a common explanation for transgressive for transgressive acts of women. And Lizzie stated that she had fleas days leading up to the murders. Um, Fleas being a term for menstruation. And this could explain the bloody towels found in the basement. So uh, my point of discussion was that of the hatchet head found in the basement. And... It was argued that the murderer could have removed the handle because it would have been covered in blood. And, you know, why remove the handle? Why not get rid of the entire murder weapon? Yeah. Maybe the blood stained the wooden handle and the blade could have been wiped clean. Because remember, there's nothing to, there's no testing anything. Yeah, it's time. not like they were doing blood so, type testing or, like, yeah. yeah. There's so, no fucking luminol. There, I mean, there was no bloody clothing at the scene. Um, one officer said that there was a hatchet handle found near the hatchet head. Another officer said, no, there wasn't. Um, so nobody really knows, like, what the fuck's going on with this fucking hatchet head. Um, and, you know, Lizzie could have just simply wiped it clean. She could have just taken a fucking rag and wiped it clean and put that yeah. rag in that bucket in the basement where she said that's where her, you know, menstruation rags were. Yeah. So, which of course no dude no in the dude is gonna is gonna question that they're gonna <laughs> no. be like, ah, period women things blah, blah, blah. I feel like any men listening to this right now they're probably shivering right yeah. now because period can't, blood Ew. they can't fathom the reproductive get over it. of a woman's body get over it um so a big point of dispute at the trial was Lizzie's presence and movements at the Borden home on August fourth. She claimed to be in the barn. She claimed to be in the kitchen, kitchen ironing handkerchiefs. She couldn't really keep her story straight. Yeah. Exactly. As we already know, her testimonies were completely opposite of what Bridget had to say. And Bridget never, ever, ever changed her story. Yeah. Like, she stuck to her she story. Was consistent throughout. And, I mean, let's go back to John Morris again really quick. We kind of believe, or Amanda, 
I feel like he definitely knew something, but I can't pinpoint on how he could have helped. Like, what could he have helped with? Like, well, he was a butcher by trade. Yeah, but he so wasn't. So I think that he could have helped by explaining what to do and how to do it, even if he didn't do it. He definitely did. He wasn't there when Abby was killed. But he could have very well, the time frame, he could have come back and helped kill Andrew and then went back to Way Bossett and caught a streetcar to come home. I don't know. I feel like that would have been a lot of work. It Lizzie would have been a lot. Roaming around the house. I don't exactly. know. I don't know. So, But I think it's very weird that they spent a month in New Bedford where he lived and then Lizzie came back and literally two weeks after she came back, he shows up at the day before her parents are murdered. Yeah. It's, it just, it's I, weird. I think that he had something to do with helping her plan it. Yeah. So that was kind of like my next like part of this was that like he was out of the house before breakfast, before Angela for work. Um, claimed to be visiting relatives from around 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. And, I mean, like Amanda already said, she, she mapped the distance between the boarding home and this relative's house. It wasn't that far. Only about a mile away. It's about a 23-minute um, walk, according to Google Maps today. Yeah. And he remembered the number of the street carriage he took, which, I, I, I mean, some people are just observant like that, but I don't remember fucking shit. Um, he remember the names of six priests that he had conversations with like i how do you remember yeah, the, the very particular things people? and that was all on the streetcar on the ride back to the borden's house he he never gave up these names uh but he just said i remember them like yeah need them like i have i can give my alibi i can solidify my alibi if you need it weird uh, just like these weirdly detailed accounts. Um, but ultimately, they never tied anything to him. They really never questioned him. And that's that's why I think that like if they had actually done a full interview with him, they may have found some inconsistencies possibly. And who knows what would have happened. But mm-hmm. we will never know. And, you know, this preliminary hearing had determined that there was sufficient evidence to try the defendant in superior court. So Lizzie remained in jail until her superior court trial. Uh, Testimonies began on December 1st of 1892. And Alice Russell, who Amanda mentioned before, Lizzie's good friend and neighbor, said that she watched Lizzie burn what Lizzie said was a paint-stained dress. She testified at the original inquest but didn't tell them about the dress. And then she later felt guilty and wanted to confess. And this is, you know, she ended up telling this to, you know, grand jury so lizzie's arraignment was on may 8th of 1893 so she sat in jail this whole time from august to june and at her arraignment on this day she did not hesitate to plead guilty Uh, i'm sorry plead not guilty she went right up and she said i am not fucking guilty so she had confidence in her statement it seems yeah Um, her trial was set to begin on june 5th but weirdly, on May 30th, another axe murder took place in Fall River. What? 22-year-old Bertha Manchester suffered 23 axe wounds to the back of her skull. And everyone was so quick to compare this to the boarded murders. But Bertha was killed by a Portuguese man from the Azores. His name was Jose Correa de Mello. And he worked on her father's farm. And he was upset about the wage that he was being paid. So we killed it. Okay. So we axe murdered his daughter. Yeah, seems reasonable. It makes sense. It makes so much sense. So much sense. So (laughs) I do that all the time. Yeah, when I don't get paid fair wages. Yeah. So oh my god. We're like, yeah, trying to be serious, and we're like, sorry, guys. Um. So her trial was supposed to begin in Taunton Court originally. Taunton. Taunton. But it took place in the New Bedford court. In Bedford. New Bedford. Sorry, I had to continue um, it. And so this started on Monday, June 5th, 1893. And, you know, it was kind of known and still kind of is known as one of the greatest murder trials. Oh, absolutely. Like, and it was like the O.J. Simpson trial of their time. Yeah. So obviously members of the press were there, journalists, all the newspapers were there. Um, but no spectators were allowed inside the courthouse on the first day. Uh, they didn't let anyone who wasn't, like, involved with the case inside. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, back then, that wasn't, like, a thing. You didn't have press, like, in the, 
the courthouse during this is just trials. such a huge but this huge... was yeah it became such a huge public thing that it was kind of one of those first cases it really was so lizzie made her arrival at the courthouse at around 11 a.m that morning and she was dressed to the nines oh i believe during it. like each court appearance she dressed in these like extra fancy clothing um, usually like a dark blue or like a black with like a hat. I'm here for gloves. it. What? I'm here for it. Um, yeah. So literally just made herself look fancy, like she lived yeah. on the hill. Oh, absolutely. Um, judges for the trial consisted of three superior court judges. So it was Chief Justice Albert Mason, Associate Justice Caleb Blodgett, and Associate Justice Justine Dewey. Lizzie was afraid that she wouldn't get a fair trial because the jury was made up of only men because women could not serve on the jury back then. But weird enough, after the trial, the jury had a group photo taken of them and they gave it to Lizzie as a gift. Jesus Christ. It's hanging up on the wall in the room where Andrew was killed. Do you remember? I do. Oh, yeah. We were kind of stuffed in the back for that. Um, But yeah, there's a picture of the jury. I I can't believe they gave that to her as a gift. Yeah. They're like, here you go. Here you go, bestie. Yeah. Love you. We're friends now. XOXO. We. (laughs) (laughs) You rock. Don't ever change. Jesus. Um. (laughs) Have a great summer. Yeah. (laughs) See you next fall. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I can't. So on the second day of the trial, June 6th, spectators were lining up as early as 6 a.m. Damn. Yep. And Lizzie's relationship with her stepmother was brought up. The trip to the drugstore was brought up. They went over the layout of the house. Um, they discussed the acts with a fresh, with a fresh break um, that the one officer initially found in the search. This is when they brought out the skulls of Andrew and Abby Borden because during their autopsy, they took out the skulls. Yep. So they yeah. were buried without heads. They had their heads, they just didn't have the skull in it. Yeah. So it was just, you know. Weird. It was just a sack flat, of meat flopping yeah. around on top. Um, so weird. Sorry, guys, for that. <laughs> um, so this is when Lizzie faints. This is kind of like the first reaction. She's like, <gasps> but back in the day, I'm they call like, it, they say Lizzie swoons. Yeah, I feel like it's like when Scarlett O'Hara throws herself on her bed and starts just crying and... <gasps> gone with the wind <laughs> so she was swooning over the skulls well i mean that's kind of like i was not swoon was like you see. faint with like a like Affection. a yeah like a romantic like intent yeah like i'm swooning over you not with the oh some skulls oh it like, was like she fainted that's what they say swooning. yeah okay but I mean, that different meaning now apples and oranges I guess. yeah i don't know <laughs> so this could have been blamed on you know, the heat or humidity. It's fucking June. It's hot. It's fucking humid up here. It's fucking gross they in thought, the summer. Yep. They, some thought that Lizzie was just showing a sign of, like, femininity. Like, oh, okay. Because she's been kind of stoic she's for the rest of the time. She's a dainty woman. She yep. just couldn't, she couldn't handle or it. Or she could have just been fucking shocked to see Yeah. She also could have been dying skulls. because she was, it was the middle of June and she's wearing, like, fucking petticoat six, on petticoat. Yeah, six skirts and fucking corset. two corsets and a fucking jacket and a just. Yep. A lot. There was a lot that went into their outfits. Lizzie got her shit together after about five minutes and the trial resumed. So the members of the jury were sent to the boarding house to see the layout in the neighborhood for themselves, which I think was you have to know the layout of that house. Seeing pictures of it is one thing, but actually going there and like walking around that second floor and knowing how thin the walls were. And if if Lizzie was in the dining room when Abby was murdered, she Abby was like a 200 plus pound woman. Yeah. She would have heard that fall. It's said in her autopsy, she was a well nourished and fleshy woman. Well nourished and fleshy. Described, which I'm like, bitch, same. <laughs> <laughs> she would have heard Abby fucking Borden fall oh, around. Because, like, it would have just been like. It was, yeah. Right next to Lizzie, essentially. Basically, like, above her in a room over. Yeah. So that is. You would have heard that shit. So I just, she just, again, she just, she wasn't getting her story straight on where she even fucking was. So, no. um, so as the jury was being brought to the boarding house, there are more than 350 spectators waiting outside. Holy shit. They then went to the AP Gorman's paint store, the location of the telephone call. Yes. To call and report the murders to the police. And then they went to the AJ Borden building. 
They were then taken to the D.R. Smith's drugstore, where Lizzie tried to purchase the Prusik acid. And then they reenacted the final walk of Andrew Borden from the bank back to his home. On the third day of the trial, June 7th, they discussed Andrew's last movements to the banks in his commercial properties. And then Bridget Sullivan took the stand. She reiterated that the cellar door was bolted from the inside and that the side door had been locked the night prior. So no intruders could have gotten into the house. Her account of the morning, and this is where our stories kind of line up, but the time is like, times vary. Her account of the morning is that she woke up with a dull headache, probably from all the sickness going around the home. And she was already downstairs when Abby came down around 6.30, 6.40, followed by Andrew about five minutes later. He emptied his slop pail outside, as one does every morning, gathered some pears, and came inside and joined Abby and John for breakfast. So this man's dumping his shit bucket, yep. picking some pears off the tree, not washing his hands, and then, and then he inside. sits down for breakfast. Yum. Mm-hmm. No wonder why you're fucking sick, sir. It's exactly what I said in my timeline. It's like, <laughs> and yeah, same thing. The it's It's so interesting how, like, all the times in the book that I read and, like, the timeline that I found online and in your book, just, like, slightly different. We had the same thoughts throughout. It's so funny. Yep. So as Bridget, uh, sorry, as Bridget was washing the dishes, Lizzie had come down with her own slop pail and then she ate her breakfast. Probably didn't wash her hands in between. This nope. is This is when Bridget said she went outside to vomit and she was out there for about 10, 15 minutes at the most. Had to add some vomit to the slop pails that were dropped outside. She came back inside and brought the clean plates to the dining room where she would see Abby Borden for the last time. Goes outside, vomits, touches clean plates. Like, <laughs> no wonder why you guys are all fucking poisoned. It's not even a question at yeah, this point. They definitely had, like, severe food poisoning. So this is when Abby told Bridget to wash the windows inside and out. And she started outside, and she would have to make several trips to the barn to get water, which would have made it hard for an intruder to, like, time an entrance. Cause, like, yeah, she's walking back and yeah. forth. And at any point, someone could have come out the back door, too, because there was, you know, three people in the house. So she went inside and started with the windows in the sitting room. This is when she heard someone trying to enter the front door. It was Andrew Borden. And again, as Amanda already kind of told us, as Bridget was trying to unfold it, she swore. And then she heard Lizzie laughing upstairs in response. Yep. So she never changes this detail. Lizzie inquired about the mail with her father and then told him that Abby had received a note and had gone out. And this is the note about, like, a sick friend. Yeah. She then asked Bridget if she was going out and if she was going to lock the door behind her. Like, if you're going to leave, lock the door. Weird. And then told her, and so this, you kind of brought it up, but I saw that it was, like, a department store. She told her about a sale of dresses going on at the store called Sargent's. Okay. So yep. my guess is that it's, like, some sort of, like, department store. Probably, yeah. Um, She was in no condition to go out. She was still sick. Yeah. She was like, fuck you, Lizzie. Like, I'm going to go upstairs, and I'm going to take a nap. And she wasn't able to rest long because shortly after, Lizzie called and called her from the fucking attic. Like, God forbid yeah. she lets fucking sick girl rest yeah and she called to tell her that father's dead somebody came in to kill him lizzie told her that she had been out in the backyard and had heard a groan inside dr bowen and adelaide is adelaide yeah adelaide adelaide churchill were the first on the scene and asked about abby's whereabouts lizzie said she may have heard her come home she wasn't sure um Bridget didn't want to volunteer to go looking, given the circumstances. Yeah. But Adelaide volunteered to go with her. And this is when they saw Abby's body as they ascended the stairs. Now, I'm going to talk about our tour guide real quick. Um, After we toured. Oh, he was awesome. He was so theatrical. He, we did the downstairs and he was bringing us upstairs um, to like the front entrance stairs. right, Right when you walk in, there's the stairs that go up. And he was like, I'm going to walk up the stairs and then like count to 10 and then start walking up after me. And he's like, and you'll see why you didn't even need to walk up the stairs all the way to see that Abby Borden was dead. Yeah. So you walk about seven or eight steps up and you take a, you, yeah, you turn you just left. turn and look and you can see into, right into the guest room. You can see right into the guest room, right at the top of the stairs to the left. 
you didn't even go up the stairs because you could see Abby through like underneath the bed lying on the floor. She wasn't under the bed. She was on the other side of the bed. But you could see through under the bed that she was laying there. So, and it was so funny because he got on the ground and like acted like he was dead, and, like it stuck his tongue out. Was, yeah. We all laid, we all laid down in the spot we where Abby was. We have a picture was... of Jen laying down where Abby was found. We have a picture on the, it's not the exact furniture, but the couch where it would have been. Where yep. and So we have pictures of that. It's so fucked up though, because like you sit in the sitting room where Andrew was killed and they're like, here's a big Andrew Borden head cut out on a fucking ruler. You guys can all sit on the couch with your Andrew Borden heads and take pictures. And here's a fake rubber axe. Ha ha ha. Like they put like the shirts that you can get at the gift shop. They like don't make me axe you twice. Like they put a lot of humor like into these axe murders. And it's like it's funny because you have to laugh at like this morbid ass shit to like get through it. But it's two people were fucking axe murdered and it's still technically unsolved. And that's really fucked up. And imagine they're brutally, if, like, brutally fucking Imagine killed. if, like, 300 years from now, there is a, like, comical tour of the home where Casey Anthony lived and Kaylee Anthony died. Very similar. It's, it's Similar kind of concept. Well, it's, like, a, it's sad, too, because, like, the Titanic, there's, like, people have, like, Titanic parties and, like, they ha- you can rent, like, a fucking bouncy slide. I saw that, yeah. Of the, the Titanic. The and, like, me and Amanda had a moment where I cried about the Titanic a few yep. weeks ago. I was so I was like, the people on board must have been so scared. Yeah. And I actually felt that raw ass emotion and like sobbed my heart out. Yeah, she was going through it. Yeah, <laughs> about the Titanic. So it's not a joke. It's not a joke, guys. <laughs> As I'm laughing. So uh, look at that. So Lizzie didn't really have a straight alibi for at the time of Abby's death. She doesn't have a straight alibi for anything no she said she was in the kitchen reading magazines when her father returned but bridget swore that she heard Heard lizzie laughing from the second floor so the prosecutor josea knowlton this guy that's like out to get lizzie he was trying to get her to admit that she was upstairs but she kept going back and forth saying i don't know i think i was upstairs basically just giving a different answer every time he asked and he would ask the same question like back to back to back to back and every time it was a different answer so upon investigation there were no footprints in the dust in the barn where she said she also was during the time of the murders oh i was out in the barn getting lead for the fishing line or i was out collecting this and that yeah, i was, I was out getting pears off the tree i was in the cellar getting more she had she had a fishing trip planned i think like a few days ahead yeah. with her friends so she said she was like prepping stuff for that um so there are no footprints in the barn in the dust there was us everywhere the fishing poles didn't have lines on them they couldn't even be used and there again the bucket of bloody rags in the basement and the police arrived um so all this is like your story is like not straight no it's um, not consistent at all so they never tested obviously these rags in the basement because every male is so scared of periodness yeah um they just didn't question it. They couldn't test it, obviously. They probably didn't even think there was a time where they could test blood at that point. Absolutely not. Um, but and they it, didn't want to think about women having periods anyway. Yeah. So. so. But each time Bridget left Lizzie alone, one of the Bordens was murdered. Weird. Yeah. Um. So the note about Abby uh, getting a note from a friend. Sorry. Um, yes. The note to Abby about a sick friend. It cannot be proven. Never, yeah, nobody came, came forward up. saying that they delivered it. Nobody came forward saying that they wrote it. Nobody came forward being the sick friend. And didn't they offer like a five thousand dollar reward? I don't know. I didn't I see that saw detail. That they offer, uh, it was also in the documentary that they offered a reward. I don't know the exact number. Five thousand seems like a lot. I feel like it was probably more like five hundred. Yes. But they offered like a like a, a so reward for someone lied. to come forward. It like and say hey yes this I was is the why one who it sent points to your guilt because it's just like you're clearly lying about this woman's location and it can't be proven and she's upstairs dead because you killed her I th- i'm sorry i think lizzie did it i oh no i definitely <laughs> think she killed abby um i'm pretty sure she killed andrew too i just don't think that she did it all by herself and i don't think she was the the sole mastermind behind it yeah I think yeah. it was a John probably effort. gave her like the encouragement and like the incentive because well, like maybe he got a split of money. Maybe he that's was what like, I'm, so this is my theory because wait, there can was... we end the theories at the end? Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Let's get the theories excited. at the end. It's okay. Um, I wanted, I want to 
finish this. <laughs> Not finish it, get through it, but I'm like, <laughs> we're in the middle of a paragraph here, Amanda. Um, Sorry, guys. No, I'm excited to hear your theory, though, because I want to pick your brain. Um, but also, Lizzie denied being in the pharmacy, even though she was recognized by multiple people. Um, so, Amanda already kind of went into the autopsies, but I'm just going to say my piece on them. Um, their skulls were removed, and their, you know, these bashed and broken skulls were used as evidence during the trial. Their autopsies revealed that Andrew Borden had 10 wounds to his head, ranging from two to four and a half inches long. Part of the skull by the left ear was crushed, and the attack on Abby was way more vicious. She had a total of 18 head wounds, 13 of them, which went through the skull. Um, determined that it was determined that all these blows could have been done with, you know, an ordinary hatchet with a woman of ordinary strength. You can't see my air quotes. Yes. But so they were like, anyone could have done this. A yeah, girl could have done this. It didn't I seem could, like it was, it needed a lot of strength. A girl could to swing a happen. fucking hatchet. I don't know why they're even like saying, oh, could a woman swing a hatchet? Fuck you. Yes, we Just can. Just because they thought that women were feeble-minded and that we would go into hysteria if, like, the moon was too full. <laughs> like, it just, People you know... still think that. Yes. Um, medical examiners were all interviewed about the crime scene and, you know, the blood splatter. Like, no one's talking about the blood splatter. Yeah. Um, they agreed that the killer would have been covered in blood. But again, they can't test shit going down the drains. No. Like, Lizzie could have just patted herself with some water. Maybe he, even put on, like, some sort of she covering a, to her dress. If she dress. had a dark gown on, too, because she did like to wear, like, navy blues and blacks that could have covered it. was said it. that she was wearing a navy, navy blue dress that I morning. Because f- I feel like it would have been, imp- a lot of people like to say that she was naked and that she, like, got dressed and undressed. It would have been really fucking hard for her to get All dressed and undressed. And it, it, it was, like, a fucking 20-minute ordeal getting your outfit on for the day back then. So, like, I, I don't think that she would have, like, I... There's a few movies where it's, you know, she's naked axing her parents to death. I don't think that was the case. No. Um, so on June 8th, the Borden's neighbor and physician, Dr. Seabury Bowen, uh, he took the stand as he was an essential witness. He testified that Andrew's face was badly cut and covered with blood and that his body was lying apparently at ease as anyone would as if they were lying asleep. So he was clearly taking a nappy nap. Yeah. Because he, he felt like up. shit. Um, he had asked Lizzie if she had seen anyone in the house. She replied that she was outside looking for irons for her fishing poles. He left to send a telegraph to Emma. And upon his return is when he was told about Abby's body. All witnesses agreed that Lizzie had changed her dress after the bodies were found. One lawyer, Melvin Adams, questioned Dr. Bowen. He wanted to know what he had prescribed to Lizzie for her nerves. He initially prescribed bromocaffeine, which I'm not sure what bromocaffeine is, but probably just maybe some caffeine pills or something. You can um, look it up. Yeah, look it up. Then he added an eighth of a grain of sulfate of morphine to be taken before bed. This dose was equivalent to eight milligrams of morphine. He then doubled that dose, and this continued until she was a witness at the inquest. He agreed that this dosage, this dosage, I can't fucking talk, sorry. He agreed that this dosage has effects on memory and can cause hallucinations. So is she really forgetting the details or is it all the drugs that she's on? Bromocaffeine was a headache and migraine um, remedy that was manufactured up until the late 1930s. So like a caffeine pill. Yeah. So yeah, like. Excedrin, basically. Okay. Um, so let's get back to Alice Russell. She was one of the, the first people that Lizzie sought out after finding her father dead. I put air quotes around finding because she fucked. I think she did it. Um, she stayed with Lizzie at the house until after the funerals, and she visited her regularly in jail. Um, this friendship would end when Alice testified about seeing Lizzie burning a dress. Or the dress. The dress. She didn't initially tell police, but again, she didn't want to lie under oath, so this came up. And she recalled that conversation with Lizzie the night before um, about how she about was depressed, yeah. the father's enemies, the barn being broken into. She was into. concerned that somebody yep. or something was going to happen to the family. So they had been Someone poisoned. had been lurking around. Yep. And then the next day, her parents were dead. 
So the burning of the dress would kind of be like a huge hit for Lizzie at this point. Like yeah. this was not a good day for Lizzie's uh, trial. Um, so kind of like back to the hatchet head found in the initial search. Um, they brought Lizzie back to the house and like tried to have her establish like her timeline of events. Told police like a range of stories. Still couldn't get her story straight. Um, but I mean, this again, this like hatchet head was like a huge thing that like kept getting brought up, kept getting brought up because yeah, I feel like was, the hatchet and the dress were like the the two like smoking guns that they felt like there they was, had like, dust everywhere in the basement, and the hatchet head looked like it had been it had like been like just placed there, placed there, but also like kind of covered in ash like on purpose. Yeah, um, to kind of blend in with with everything, everything. else in the room. Yeah, so all these things are kind of just, like, hitting Lizzie left and right. She can't get her story straight. She can't get her timeline of events straight when being brought back to the home. Um, you know, maybe that's successful, I guess, in some cases where you go back and you can kind of retrace your movements, I guess. But yeah, you feel like you're... I do that. I literally did that this morning where I to... forget what I'm trying to remember to do, so I walk back to where I had that, you know, initial thought. But she's not going to do that for police. No. Um, Emma, her sister, testified at the trial as well. Um, she was asked about Lizzie's assets. They asked her about their inventory of dresses, like what kind of dresses they had, um, how many they had, you know, her sister's actions after the murders. Um, she apparently admitted that she was the one who told Lizzie to burn the dress because I don't know if she knew if it was blood soaked or if it was actually paint stain like just yeah. burn the old thing you know it's stained with paint you're not gonna wear it just burn it yeah um but lizzie was probably if that was the case lizzie was probably like oh i have this old paint stained dress i don't know what to do with it yep burn it oh great idea yeah <laughs> i was planning on doing that anyway um i feel like lizzie kind of had that mindset for some reason she might have she seemed like she could have been very manipulative yeah um she was also asked about Lizzie's relationship with Abby and the falling out because of the house that their father had given to Abby's family. Yep. That was like the big tension in the house. Yes. So that was just the relationship was damning. And obviously, if you, that's not obviously, but because people don't know this, but in the true crime world, if you're hitting someone like beyond death, like, you know, fucking 18 times. That is personal vengeance. Oh, absolutely. That is not an intruder. Especially an attack at the face, too. Yeah. Anytime you attack someone's face, that, that's also considered a very personal. personal attack. Yeah. So, not an intruder. So, Monday, June, 9, June 19th was... Sorry, I got cut off there. Um, so, Monday, June 19th was the last day of the trial, and the prosecution... Prosecution? I don't know why I can never say that word. It's okay. Um, in defense, made their closing arguments. The next day, June 20th, 1893, the jury unanimously came upon a decision of acquittal fairly quickly. They decided so fast that they actually sat around for over an hour and made it look like they were actually still, like, deliberating. So when the final verdict was read, Lizzie fell to her knees and sobbed because she was not guilty. What? Yep. Um, I already so knew that, but. tons of questions remain in this case, obviously, to this day. Why was Abby killed if it wasn't Lizzie? If Andrew had all these enemies. Yeah, why you know, was his wife also killed? And, and why was she killed first? Or was it like a, like a mafia hit? Like, we're going to teach you a lesson. So the where did the killer thing. hide for two hours? True. Between the murders. Bridget never saw anybody. Lizzie never saw anybody. If someone was coming into the house, wouldn't they just kill everyone? Yeah, it's not like they would have been able to, like... The only thing I could have think is possibly someone could have hid in Emma's room. She wasn't home. Possibly, but, maybe. But that's still, because that's a way that they could have gotten into the guest room. But Andrew room. can't even get in his own front fucking door. Yeah. Um. So, Abby. Unless Lizzie let somebody in. Yeah. I think Lizzie ba, ba, did it. Ba, no, just no, I the, think amount, too, the amount of hits. Personal. I, I think if, and plus, I think if she was going to kill anybody in that house, she would want to do Abby. And then have somebody else kill her father. So Abby being killed first, all of her assets automatically go to Andrew. Mm -hmm. And then Andrew being killed, everything goes to Emma and Lizzie. Yep. 
made sense to do it that way if Lizzie did it for the money. Exactly. Because if she killed Andrew first, everything would go to Abby. And if everything's in Abby's name and she died, everything would go to her family. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lizzie inherited $500,000, which is over $10 million in today's money. So money. She and Emma moved in together to a mansion on the hill. Uh, they kept the house on 2nd Street as an investment property. Um, but they finally were able to move to the hill, the higher up part of Fall River, where Lizzie always wanted Maple to live. Crawl. Yep, she she moved on to this into this mansion, and she named this home Maplecroft, which is amazing. And she renamed herself Lizbeth. Yes, she did. Um, she didn't quite keep out of trouble after her acquittal. She had an arrest warrant in Providence, actually. We're in Providence right now. Oh, damn. Um, for shoplifting. She was kind of a known little shoplifter. little troublemaker. Yep. Um, Emma and Lizzie actually had a falling out due to Lizzie's relationships with people she spent time with. Since she was kicked out of her church and due to her reputation, she was hanging out with lower class members of society, partying the theater with theater folk, literally partying with the theater people. Because yeah. back then, theater people were low class. Yeah. You know, they weren't paid well. They were well. considered like a, you know, a step above like being like a sex worker. I feel like, like it wasn't until like the 50s, really. Yeah. Probably even when, later. When, like, TV became a thing. Yeah. And, no, like, the silver screen, like, the the, the 30s. Well, I don't know, like because, a... like, Wizard of Oz. Yeah. They were treated oh, like I'm not shit. saying that people were treated well. Yeah. I mean, people are still treated like shit in Hollywood. But people, like, celebrity, a celebrity became more celebrated as opposed to being just, oh, you work in the theater? Yeah. Yeah. It's different. It's different now. Um, so Emma moved out. They never spoke again. And that was it. Lizzie um, was gay. I'm just going to say it. Uh, Amanda believes that maybe Emma had seen um, some mean, sort of I mean, the night that action. she left, Lizzie was throwing a party in honor of a actress from Boston named Nance O'Neill, who actually moved into Maplecroft for some time. And Lizzie would throw parties in honor of Nance quite often. And it was after one of those parties that Emma stopped talking to Lizzie forever and left. And a lot of people like to think it was because of, like, the murders. But I feel like Emma knew that her, her parents were getting murdered. Because, or, blah, blah, blah. I, think, I think Emma knew that Lizzie was going to murder their parents because she also wanted that money. And I think that's why she stayed in Fairhaven and had that little alibi. I think plan. that she saw some lovin some lady lovin and as a god-fearing church-going woman was offended by it and left because she did not like lizzie's new lifestyle could have been but that is just me speculating well there's another little thing i'll tell you about um she spent her years traveling lizzie and she brought along a friend named trudy not saying that her and Trudy just weren't friends traveling together because you can absolutely they do were that. roommates. But Lizzie, being in her thirties, not having a relationship with anybody, a man isn't gonna propose to her anytime soon. Nope. So what are her options? Go fuck. Go Lizzie. Like I support that. Yep. Um, we're here for Lizzie. We're here Lizzie for Gordon. it. So fun fact: Lizzie actually had the first car in the neighborhood. So she was fancy with her first car. And she had a gas pump installed at the house. Damn. And that gas pump apparently is still there today. So I want to go drive by Maplecroft. Oh, we should. Next time I come down here, let's do it. Um, Because I don't think I have. It recently sold, like a couple years ago. She died in the house. That's sad. Um, That's very sad. Everyone knows that nursery rhyme that we said in the first episode. Yeah. Um, so that came out like in like the 1920s. Like that wasn't like right after no. Lizzie got acquitted. No, it was a while. People weren't kids, chanting it in the courtroom. Kids would go up to like the steps of Maplecroft and like sing it outside her house. And it's like, if this woman really ax murdered her parents, like I would not go anywhere near that house. She, oh, absolutely not. Like as a child, I'd be like, she's going to ax murder me. Um, they would also like put pins in her doorbell, I guess. So it like constantly ring and that would just like piss her off she'd have to like come out pull the pins out that's annoying so she was kind of she had that rep- she stayed in the area so i mean yeah if you're gonna stay in the area 
a and lot of people had the biggest murder why trial. she stayed in the area too. Um, probably because she was able to move what she wanted to. I think that's all she yeah. wanted. I don't that's think all she, she ever knew wanted that there was anything really outside of Fall River for her. Yeah, that she had her. I think she just had tunnel vision. Um, I agree. So, again, she remained in Fall River for the rest of her life and died at Maplecroft on June first, nineteen twenty-seven. And when she died, she donated like half of her inheritance to the Fall River Animal Rescue League. And back then she donated $30,000, which in today's money would have been like over half a million. Yeah. So. um, A lot of money. Yeah. She also had a bunch of dogs. Yeah, she was an animal lover. There's a great picture of her as um, an elderly woman with her dog in her lap at Maplecroft like a year before she died. So sweet. Um, so Lizzie, in my opinion, definitely did the actions of the murder. Um, I definitely think that the actions of John Morse make him look fishy. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, so there's a lot of people that think that she didn't do it, but that was personal fucking attack. So. Oh, absolutely. So. I think that she planned it with her uncle and her sister because a month before everything happened, they went on that extended vacation to New Bedford, Mm -hmm. which is where John Morse lived. And it was right around like the last weekend or like the last week of July that Lizzie came back to Fall River. Emma went to Fairhaven to stay with friends, which was where she was when the murders occurred and then like maybe four days later it's august 3rd and john morse is just hopping on a train to come up to fall river to just hang out and do some business and visit his niece it's so weird that like emma was like oh i'm gonna be part of this i don't want to be part of this yeah and i also i don't think either of us mentioned it but i do want to put out there john morse showed up with no like bags like no clothes or anything and was just like, yeah, I'm just in the in town for a couple days doing some business. So like, where's your stuff? Where's your stuff? Yeah, exactly. So I thought that was very strange. I think it's very strange that he was very had his alibi was too perfect. You know, like he remembered yeah. too many details, just too many. So I, what was the reason for him even being there though? So, like he said, he said he was just in the area for business. But what did he need to be there for? Like, he he didn't do the murders. Like, what what value was he in to be in the area? I think that he might have been there to possibly carry out the murders if Lizzie could not. I think that they weren't sure on how they were going to do it, and that's why Lizzie tried to purchase the prussic acid. You think he would have stayed close by then and not? It was only a 20-minute walk away. Yeah, but. Which isn't, you know, it's. It is a little bit of a walk, but you're still like a mile away. That's not bad. He'd also hired, uh, he had also rented a carriage the night before. Like he could have rented a carriage that day, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It, and it's something that's we're never going to know. And I think that the reason why he wanted to be a part of it is because he was Sarah Morse's brother and he wanted to help his nieces in some way. Yeah. And I mean, it's never been proven that he was given any money or anything, but he still stayed close with his nieces. And he also wasn't really looked into. So no, he really was not looked into. And I think he wasn't looked into because he was a respectable businessman. So they just assumed that he had nothing to do with it. And I feel like if the police had questioned him as much as they questioned Lizzie, and I'm not like, I'm not saying Lizzie didn't do anything. She's obviously guilty. I don't think she's innocent. Oh, no, no, um, no, no. there's no way she did not him, have part in this. They would have realized that he was also involved in some way. She would have not been acquitted in this time. He was also a butcher by trade, like I said before. So I feel like he could have told her how to swing the axe, where to swing the axe, where to aim on somebody to yeah. make sure it was quick and easy so that she didn't have to worry about it. Yeah. Also could have helped her in ways of, getting rid of the blood or disposing of some kind of evidence. But it's like he wasn't there to distract anybody else. Like he wasn't there to distract. No, but this all could have been plotted the entire month that they were in New Bedford together prior to the murders. That's what I'm saying is she like beginning of July, that family had a huge fucking fight and both Lizzie and Emma took extended vacations to New Bedford. They could have plotted some shit. Lizzie 
carried out this murder, got acquitted, and lived the life she yeah. always wanted. She really did. So, I mean, not the type of power moves I really encourage. Yeah, I, not a boss girl but story to live by. Definitely some sort of. But you know, she was tenacious as fuck. Badass spot. shit. I'm sorry if you guys she hear manifested. the church bells playing in the background. I live right next to a church. I didn't even it, notice them. Uh, it goes off like every couple hours in the day. Um, so we went to the Lizzie Borden house, like, which we already said back in January. And, um, one thing, I'll just kind of give you the rundown. There's no original furniture. There's the yeah. original heating furnaces, though, like, installed in the rooms that Andrew Borden put in himself. Yes. Which is cool. And that's how the house is heated. And they do try to get all period appropriate yes. furniture. The couch and is almost identical that Andrew Borden was killed on. Yeah. But, um. You start in the in the parlor. You go into the dining room. They they bring you into the kitchen a little bit. They kind of bring you in the kitchen at the end. That stove in the kitchen is fucking sick. crazy. Yeah, was that the original or was that no. a time era? No. But then they bring you into the sitting room where Andrew was killed, and then they bring you upstairs. They bring you. Um. They you know show you how you definitely could have seen Abby's body. Oh, absolutely. With, without even having to go into the fucking guest room. They bring you into the guest room. They let you take pictures and all that. You go into Lizzie's room. You go to Emma's room. Then you go into Andrew Borden's room. He has a little office, um, office room. But there's a picture of him next to the bed, and it has, like, change. And you have to leave change. You can never take change because he was a penny pincher. You take the change, it'll haunt you. Yep. Yep. But then they bring you upstairs to the attic because um, how to access that is through Andrew's side of the house. Remember that door between Lizzie yes. and Andrew's room was bolted. It's not anymore. So you can just walk right through now. Um, and the attic is just creepy. And then they bring you it down is. to the kitchen. It's very creepy up there. And then they bring you down to the cellar for like an extended, you have to pay like $7 to go to the basement. Which is so weird because the first time I went there when I was like maybe like 15, 16, um, the basement was where the gift shop was. Yeah. So that it's just extra money for them now. Yeah. But they're in one room. It's so creepy. They're trying to make it like an extra guest room. So you'll be able to rent out the room in the basement soon. If you look up in the wood, there's still blood stains. Yeah. From, you can see the discoloration yeah, in the wood. Yeah, Andrew was murdered. And the so, bed is like right below it. It's spooky. Spooky scary. But no, our tour guide was awesome. I, I think it's like 20 something dollars to go tour the Lizzie Borden house. So if you're ever in the Fall River area. Definitely, definitely go. fun. And it's if you got like five hundred bucks to drop on a room for a night, go for it. Yeah. Just like not bad. It's not it's bad. Like Except I don't price. know how it would feel on the side of the bed where Abby was killed. Yeah. I'd, on, I'd be like, you can sleep on that side. <laughs> I also I would not want a room in the attic. No. That attic I hear is, you hear creepy stories about the attic. It's rooms. very heavy up there. Like yeah. It just felt very heavy. Well, also it's crazy because there was um there's a so you walk up to the attic, and then Andrew built this, like, drop door where he could, yeah. like, lock her up into the fucking yeah, attic Yeah, lock if he Bridget wanted. up there. Yeah. Because they just up. didn't see the maid as a person. Yeah. So fucked up. Which is just fucking terrible. But that was it. That's all I have on the trial of Lizzie Borden. Um, this is a case that has been, you know, there is. on our minds to do forever. To There's a lot of um, different, like, documentaries about the hauntings and stuff there too there's a lot of spooky stuff that happened in the history of fall river yeah and just that area as well there's something that happened in the house next door as well um i don't know if you remember that from our tour kind of um but there was a it was a distant relative of the bordens a mother actually drowned her two children in the home next door so they believe that that brought some negative energy over to the house as well got it very very weird so the bordens are actually um all buried together in um yeah in the family fall River. Plot. and is it oak street cemetery yes um emma's there lizzie's there um abby andrew sarah there i think so yeah um but yeah so if you want to go visit their graves you can just be super super respectful when yes. you go the, when you go on the tour be super super respectful um don't take andrew borden's pennies don't take andrew borden's pennies um but we hope you liked our version yes of Lizzie borden our story our discussion of it and our theories and our you know we have a lot of fun things coming we have some people that are going to be coming on our show friends of ours that have their own 
accounts and stories. Yeah, we have some spooky stories. Um, our anniversary is coming up in about a month and a half, our one-year anniversary of the show. So we're going to do something for that. Um, so Which I can't wait. It's an exciting time to listen to our podcast because we yeah. have all these fun things coming up. I think we're good. I think that I think that's it. All right. We'll I stay think spooky. you guys should yeah, stay scary and stay safe. Bye. Bye. I love you.